don't forget to follow My Warp Life on Instagram to hear when new things are coming and enter one of our monthly giveaways. That's right. You know, you can win yourself a t-shirt and a beanie, which I don't have yet, or even a bottle of Kevin Lyman's hot sauce, which I do have, and it's fantastic. So don't forget, if you have any questions for us or topics you want us to discuss, text us at 818-863-6445. And if you enjoy listening to the conversations with our guests, you can hear the full versions of all the interviews on our Patreon for only $5. We donate all the proceeds to our favorite charities and you can cancel any time. We're partnering with our friends at Drink Weird. Drink Weird are the makers of Weird Tea and Weird Water. Weird Tea is delicious, organic tea full of antioxidants made without any preservatives. And Weird Water is fresh spring water sold in recyclable aluminum cans available in sparkling or flat. Do you want to win a free case of Weird Tea or Weird Water? All you gotta do is tell us your weirdest stories from the Warp Tour. What was the weirdest thing you did? Who was the weirdest artist you saw? Message us on Instagram at MyWarpLife and be sure to mention Drink Weird. The weirdest story will win a free case of drink weird also if you want to support a good cause use the code kevin on drinkweird.com to donate 100 percent of the proceeds from your order to my foundation unite the united where we create positive change in the industry by supporting local charities producing events and participating in community volunteerism events across america drink weird with everyone's busy schedules and pulling everyone together sometimes, we're going to try something new. We're going to do a couple in-between episodes and maybe some more Patreon stuff where I'm going to be talking a little more in depth about some of the things I've done in my life and some of those stories. I think this is a moment in time where I really want to dig into something that, I, I, that I've been accused of. Nine public figures who famously hated heavy metal. And they said, well, you're on it. And I wondered who else was on the list. So, of course, you have to go look. And it's crazy because I've never been on a list with one Tipper Gore. <laughs> and, and then she was number one. Uh, number two, Dylan Moran, which was kind of crazy. Number three, Ginger Baker. Like, putting me on a list with Ginger Baker, a famous drummer like that. Kevin Lyman, I came in at number four. Number five, Bob Larson. Number six, Keith Richards. On a list with Keith Richards. Number seven, Eddie Vedder. Like, I'll be on a li- any list with Eddie Vedder. Number eight, Kendall Jenner. But I think why I ended up on the list, and I was reading, I wanted to see why I ended up on that list. And, and I think there was some misconception here because one time I was doing an interview for the uh, Detroit Free Press, and they were talking about metal. And I was always curious about metal because I worked in the clubs. And one night we would do rock shows, and the next night we would do punk shows. So I was watching how the dynamics of those shows changed even early on in my career. How punk rock was like $5 tickets and $5 t-shirts, and if a band, opening band showed up, they got half the pizza. And it was kind of a, like a community. If we could move the drum kit for those people, we'd make room on the stage. Everyone was kind of working together. The next night, that same audience was paying $10 for the t-shirt, $10 for the ticket, and the headlining band was like, no way we're ever moving our fucking drum kit. And the opening bands can stack up right in front of us till we were literally putting road cases sometimes in front of the stage for them to play on. So it was like this kind of world I was kind of bouncing back and forth between. And I never could really understand it. And then I was working on the uh, foundations forum for Bob Chaparty. It was a fabulous event. It was crazy, though. Think about people go to like, uh, you know, a a, a plumbing fixture convention, or even CES. Well, this was a convention of heavy metal music. We would literally take over a hotel. They would have ballrooms, and we would set up arena PAs, like more PA than you can imagine, and we'd put a second stage in them. And then, like, 
you'd have Ozzy Osbourne and Kiss and Pantera, and you'd have all these bands playing, and everyone would come into these these convention centers, and it was like a night on the Sunset Strip, but in these hotels. And there was so much money around metal at that point. It was like everyone wanted something more than the other person. They wanted more cabinets. They wanted more PA. And literally, we would have a truck of empty PA cabinets, and we would charge the labels $300 to make their PA look bigger than the other PA. It was always, it was, it was mind-boggling, these events. And, you know, later on in life, you know, I, I, I was working, and a lot of the heavier bands started to like to play on Warp Tour. Um, I'll never forget the great band called Trivian would like to come on Warp Tour, but they were also bands that could sometimes go on Ozfest or some of these other events. And I kind of learned about it and kind of learned about the system. And, and we were always about on, on Warped was, you know, if you were a small band, you weren't paid much, but you'd get food and you'd get a few hundred bucks and you'd come out there, the smallest band. And I was hearing how people were paying a ton of money to be on those other festivals, buying on. And I hated buy-ons. And people didn't realize how much I hated buy-ons because I saw that going on in the rock clubs of LA where people would pay to be on these shows, opening for Robin Trower and opening for these events. And I was a stage manager and there was a young promoter who literally these bands would show up with their tickets that they had to buy, the pay to play tickets. And she'd come and say, well, they couldn't pay me all the money. They're gonna give me their guitar cabinet or their guitar head as collateral until they come back and buy the tickets. And I'd have to sit there and watch these bands play each evening and really, you didn't want to take their equipment away because they really needed to practice, most of them. <laughs> like, taking their gear away from them, kind of, like, they're not helping their career get any better. And literally, it was like, I'd do, like, the song, because she would come down, and she had an assistant, and they would take this equipment, and then haul it up the stairs, and I'd be like, dun 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 coming down and locking up their gear. And I was like, this is, this is, this, it was a really strange world. So I never believed in, in buying onto a tour or a show. So that was one of the things that led to the concept of the Mayhem Festival. But I did one day, and a couple times I, I've done things that maybe, you know, I should just focus on what I was doing, uh, was one when, when OzFest became a free fest. They were doing OzFest one year where it was totally free. They were going to do it and have a sponsor, and the opening bands were going to get paid in Ozzy. And, and I thought it was like, wow, how do you take a, a show that was so, and make it free? Uh, because value, we were giving music away for free at that point. How do you take the value away from ticket sales? And I did make a comment. I said that Sharon Osbourne was, was very smart to figure out how to keep her brand going during this time, but I didn't understand the long-term business model of it. And uh, I was on a day off once, and I was fishing, and I'll never forget, I was fishing up in uh, Wisconsin, and uh, my phone's kind of blowing up. My phone's kind of blowing up, and I'm like, it's a day off. People know not to bother me unless it's an emergency, so... I answer the phone, and, and it was my press company who at that time was also the OzFest press company. And they're like, Sharon wants your, your cell phone number. Sharon wants your cell phone number. I'm like, look, I'm on a day off. You know, call me tomorrow. Well, I know what she did. She, she's intimidated. She could scare people if you care. And she actually um, got my phone number. And she called me and laid into me and told me, you know, that, you know, I'm a little pissant and don't matter to the business, which was fine. It was cool. I, I had heard about getting reamed by Sharon Osbourne by many. And it's almost like it's one of those things you wish you had recorded because she was so good at it, just reaming me. And, and she made a comment about being able to pee on me from high places, which was always a very strange visual. I was like, whoa, 
Like, that's a visual, I'm telling you. She's wanted something in writing, so at that point, Sarah was still working for with me, and she wrote, we wrote this whole letter out to her and, and, and apologized, and we ended it with a PS something about how, how do you keep something looking so great, you know? It was really kind of offhanded, but, oh, it was bad, you know, but it was, it was like, so I felt bad because I, I needed to buy my own business, you know, probably on that, but, but I did think it was cool, and then once again, um, I did an interview about heavy metal music a few years later for the Detroit Free Press. Um, you know, we were already doing Mayhem Festival, and Mayhem Festival was a good festival, and it was rolling along. And I did an interview about heavy metal music, and I said, I fear that I watched with the warped world, the big bands always trying to give a young band a hand up, you know, making room for them and trying to encourage people. But in heavy metal, I never saw them developing new headliners, to be honest. Uh, Five Finger Death Punch was on, the, on Mayhem Festival as our opening act one year, who went on to kind of headline, but we gave them a chance because we thought their music was so good. We didn't charge them to be out there. They might've got some tour support for their own transportation, but we personally didn't benefit. We benefited from breaking an act. And I, and I was hoping that heavy metal could have their own tour because everyone wanted to play Warp Tour at that point. So that's one of the reasons that I wanted to be part of the Mayhem Festival, so they could have their own culture and their own place. But I was talking, watching that the same bands for many, many years, whether it, it was the same combinations, which I still see to this day, uh, were going out, you know, and, and they're good bands. I was never disrespecting the bands. I just was a fearful that they weren't developing their own headliners, new headliners. And, and those packages would be bands like Corn and Slipknot. Slipknot, who went on to try to help younger bands. I saw that with them. They kind of were an artist development band and wanted to bring people in. And Corey Brennan, being a smart manager, he realized nurture the scene and try to bring some new people in. But then you saw these same bands all the time that were touring. And they always had one manager who benefited greatly from that one band. So why would they want to share the money with this up and coming crop of new bands that I was working with, the Bring Me the Horizons, the Pierce the Veils at that point, these bands that were leaning more towards metal, but they weren't being accepted by those bands within that scene. Um, I do see that now, and, and I do say that Danny Wimmer has done a great job uh, with his festivals. He's recognized that, you know, you pay homage to the, to the history of that music, but you pay, you have to bring up new things behind or you don't have a scene. It becomes classic rock. And I said, the problem with metal, and of course someone grabs a headline, was that metal has a chance of becoming gray, bald, and fat. And I said, metal was about danger. Danger. Metal was supposed to be edgy and dangerous, but if your grandpa's on stage, it's not that dangerous. Mm -hmm. So, of course, someone picked it up and says, Kevin Lyman says heavy metal is gray, bald, and fat, <laughs> which really pissed off people like Kerry King from Slayer. And, people, and I got a lot of people, you know, corn coming at me like, fuck. And then I also had a lot of people calling me that says, look, I'm not in the position to support you, but you just said what needed to be said. The concept being that I said gray, bald, and fat, so I challenge all of you that might listen to this, Google gray, bald, and fat, and see whose photos come up, because it usually comes up as me and Carrie King as being gray, bald, and fat. So <laughs> and I took a lot of shit from that community, but it was only out of something I really loved. I thought that that community needed to embrace these younger artists, because I was always seeing these great heavy bands. I mean, you went over to the Monster Stage on Warp Tour, and these bands would rip your face off, you know? So prove me wrong embrace younger artists, and let's make some new heavy metal headliners. So I don't remember who actually wrote the first story, 
But Emperor Rumbus, two things. One, it reminded me that I wanted to clear the air on this now. And two, wow, I can say I was actually in the same list as Tipper Gore, Ginger Baker, Eddie Vedder, Kendall Jenner, a Jenner, Keith Richards. <laughs> Thank you very much. That was awesome. This episode of the My Warp Life podcast is a sample of what we hope to do in the future, adding little stories like this to our Patreon for those people that encourage and support us throughout the year. Thank you.